0: following is a production of the blue ridge institute for theological education for more information about the institute or to learn more about our current course offerings please visit our website at www.bright-va.org well welcome back to part two of our ministry interview last time in part one we thought with pastor nick bullock regarding church planning In an international setting, and so we asked him some questions about church planting as well as cross-cultural ministry as he labors in Stuttgart, Germany, and so you may want to uh, go back and re-listen, or if you haven't listened to it yet, check out and listen for the first time uh, to that podcast interview on our podcast feed from last time. Uh, Today, we rejoin the conversation, and we shift the conversation over to rural ministry in 21st century America, and we think with pastors Matt Adams and Kyle Brent, two friends of mine who are also PCA ministers, we think with them about some of the particular challenges and opportunities regarding rural ministry in our day and age. So, let's rejoin the conversation. Well, moving the conversation along, we we thought for the last few minutes about church planting and particularly international church planning and certainly some of the overarching principles that we might think about in a more American or domestic context, but I want to talk to a couple of my brothers here, Kyle and Matt, and as they're laboring faithfully in a couple of established congregations in a more rural context, you know, as I say, Bright has a partnership with the Appalachia Reformation Network, so we're often thinking about rural ministry, uh, ministry in the countryside. Obviously, where you guys are near coastal South Carolina is not particularly Appalachia, but I dare say that there's probably a great number of similarities when it comes to laboring in rural settings and some of the challenges that rural ministries might face. Uh, So maybe let me start with you, Matt. Tell tell us a little bit about your context, the place where you're serving, and tell us about maybe— You know, and challenges doesn't always necessarily mean things that causes great duress or pain or frustration, but just the reality of things we need to be aware of and think about if we're going to be laboring effectively.
1: Maybe tell us a little bit about that and what that looks like for you. Sure. Thanks, Sean. Um, Again, I'm at First Presbyterian Church in Dillon, South Carolina. Dillon uh, is a a small um, agricultural town, even though admittedly uh, the agricultural aspect of Dillon is— Somewhat dying, um, we we still have quite a number of farmers, but those farmers are uh, much larger scale, um, and, and kind of the the small town farmer is seemingly leaving us, and we're moving more toward towards a manufacturing and uh, kind of logistics, shipping uh, kind of mentality in Dillon. A lot of uh, A lot of companies are moving in uh, here recently because we have something called like an inland port uh, in Dillon now. Uh, When they come off the the big ships from overseas in Charleston, they're immediately brought to to Dillon or Greer, South Carolina, um, to be transported throughout the rest of the country. And so uh, a lot of companies desire that relationship with that inland port. And so a positive of Dillon is that we're actually growing uh, because our – our companies are, are building, expanding, or new companies are coming in. And so that's been a really exciting time for us. But, but nonetheless, um, Dylan is a, is a city of, of less than 10,000 people. I actually think that we're, we're right on the cusp of 8,000 people. Um, and, and we are small town South Bible belt, um, in a lot of ways. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of churches first and foremost. Um, even from the front porch of First Pres Dillon, a block to the north is the High Steeple uh, United Methodist Church, and then a block to the west is the High Steeple uh, Southern Baptist Church, Uh, and so we're right there in the in the heart of our city together. Um, And then if you go kind of beyond that, uh, you have more Baptist churches predominantly, um, and, and beyond that, you you have right on the, the kind of the outskirts of the city limits, you have your uh, Pentecostal churches. Um, and so it it is a very uh, quote unquote Christian community, but in a lot of ways it's, it's very nominal in it's Christian uh, and' it's Christian roots. Um, a lot of people are members of churches just because their parents and their grandparents were members of those churches. Um, and, and when you get generations down the line, uh, what what I've experienced, and again, I'm I'm back at home, so I have a unique perspective in these things. Is 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 the grandparent might have been a, a strong uh, member, even leader within the local church or that specific local church, but now um, the great grandchild and their family is uh, nominal at best, uh, maybe attending church once a month at best. Uh, but we have a lot of what. What we kind of joke around with the the Christian or the Christmas and and Easter Christians, um, and, and so that is that is one of the the probably the biggest frustrations to us is that um, you know we we have a lot of people in our community, uh, even within our congregation, to be completely honest who who would say that they are Christians. Um, and, and yet they do not value or, or find the importance of uh, the local church. Um, it, it's more of a, a country club membership mentality. It's there when I need it. It's there when I want to enjoy it. Um, and, and yet uh, we don't have to be committed to it. Uh, we just have to show up for it. Beyond, beyond that in Dillon is um, we are uh, the only conservative reform presence in, in the city. Uh, in the county, the county's about 30,000 people. There's only one other uh, conservative reform presence, uh, and that's a, a church called Reedy Creek Presbyterian uh, that, that only has about 20 members. Uh, and so um, we are, you know, the largest reform conservative identity within uh, Dillon County, um, and, and we're, we're running about, you know, 120, 130 on a Sunday morning. Um, one of the things that we get so often is why do we do the things that we do? Um, beyond, you know, the Methodist church or the small Catholic church, we're baptizing babies. Um, we're, we're, we're traditional in our worship style. Uh, we're using creeds and confessions. And, and I don't want to say that that's looked at with much suspicion, but it's just definitely not understood. I, I I've, I've told this many times throughout my ministry in Dylan. Um, it always seems like rural America is about ten years behind the trends of kind of the big cities of America, and so Dylan is experiencing that contemporary uh, worship phase. And so, um, when when the the church that's growing, quote unquote, um, is is you know utilizing contemporary worship. Uh, many people want to know, well, why isn't First Presbyterian Church doing uh, quote unquote contemporary worship? Why do they have to use these historic creeds and confessions? And so, um, that's that's you know that's some of the the, the daily questions that we're answering. Um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these Baptist churches, especially Pentecostal churches within uh, Dillon, are are waving the banner of no creed but Jesus. And so we we are. Uh, confessional on purpose. Uh, we use our creeds to, to catechize and to teach our children and our uh, members, and so those things are, are barriers, or at least questions when it comes to to doing ministry and having visitors within your church if they don't already have a confessional, Presbyterian, or Reformed background. Um, and so a lot of explaining and teaching what we do is, is a is a, a huge part of the ministry that that I am in constantly, uh, especially throughout the week in counseling and in evangelizing and inviting people to church and things in that nature.
0: Mm. Now, Kyle, you grew up in rural Mississippi, and you pastored for a little while in rural Mississippi, and now you're pastoring in rural South Carolina. So I suspect you have a fair bit of insight or experience, at least, that you could talk to us about when it comes to Christianity in rural settings and some of the challenges and opportunities that we're facing. So maybe maybe talk to us a little bit about that. What are some of the things you observed growing up that were just both good and bad, pleasures and frustrations? Talk to us about some of the things you've had to think about as you're ministering in these rural settings and, and what churches may, perhaps ought to be thinking about as we look toward the future.
2: Well, where I grew up uh, in rural Mississippi— um, I would have known what a Presbyterian was if one came up and slapped me in the face. Um, we were generally uh, Southern Baptists. Uh, we had uh, faithful Southern Baptist churches uh, generally preaching the Bible, um, United Methodist churches, and various other kind of, um, kind of bigger mainline denominations. Uh, but Presbyterianism was not something um, that was really on the radar uh, of most people. In fact, I remember the first time, I told somebody at the church that I grew up in, a, a very sweet lady came up to me and said, I hear you're going Presbyterian. Does that mean that, that you're going to make women have long hair and long dresses? I'm like, no, ma'am, that's, that's Pentecostalism. That's the other P denomination. So we uh, Presbyterianism um, in, in rural context is hard, mainly because people don't understand what it is. Now, that's a little different in rural South Carolina, at least where I am, uh, there is a big steeple Presbyterian church in town. We we broke off of that um, in the early '80s, uh, and people generally know, oh, okay, the pretty Presbyterian church downtown. That that's where you pastor. No, no, not really. Um, but but there's a generally this idea that there's not not much of an idea as to what Presbyterianism is, uh, and so when I introduce myself as a Reformed or Presbyterian pastor, people look at me like I have three heads. Uh, however. It gives an an interesting opportunity because one thing that I want as a rural Presbyterian pastor is to be Presbyterian through and through. Um, I believe that Presbyterianism and the the historic standards that we hold to uh, are drawn from the Scriptures. Uh, And because of that, I think that there's a timelessness to what we do. Uh, we are not ebbing and flowing with the trends uh, or, or really wanting to dive into the worship wars, as it were. We're very satisfied with our identity, and I think that's actually a very good thing. We're not afraid of who we are. We're not afraid to worship in the way that God has prescribed in Scripture in forms that have been time-tested and true. Um, and so when I see the in the rural landscapes particularly you know, rural church. how are we going to get people in? How are we going to get the young people? Well, we need to be like this city church or, or this mega church. We need to conform our style, our identity around that which is, is pragmatically working, perhaps, to fill the pew. But my desire is simply to be faithful, faithful to the Scriptures, and faithful to uh, our historic standards that have stood the test of time. And each time we test them by the Scriptures, we see that they are indeed faithful. Uh, and so because of that, it's interesting in rural ministry. when you come into a Presbyterian church, perhaps having grown up in a in a uh, church that was um, very much given to, to older styles of worship, maybe back in the 50s or 60s. It's really interesting to see uh, some, some people come in and say, well, we sang these things, and, and when I was in Sunday school, you know, back in the 70s, and I haven't sung this hymn in, in ages, and here, here's a place where they're singing this. Here's a place where the Bible is being explained and preached. They're, it's not a TED Talk. It's not quaint thoughts with, with the pastor. It's, it is faithful ministry. And in order to conform ourselves to another pattern, I think that would be uh, actually a detriment to rural ministry. We don't need to be ashamed of who we are. Uh, there is a lack of solid Presbyterian churches in in rural contexts, generally speaking, uh, and it's a good thing for them to shine the light of the truth of the Reformed faith uh, to distinguish themselves, perhaps, from the ever-shifting sands that we see in evangelicalism. And so. That's one thing that really drew me to Presbyterianism, growing up in the Deep South, growing up broadly evangelical, was, wow, this hasn't changed for 400, 500 years. Uh, this is time-tested, and this is something that uh, that I believe honors the Lord as I seek to honor Him through Scripture.
0: What are some of the particular challenges you think you and your congregation are facing? Maybe give us the top two or three that, that y'all really have to think about in particular, in your county, in your situation, and uh, maybe tell us about how they've handled that. And maybe that's unique to rural ministry, maybe that's just unique to the realities of living in a post-COVID world, but uh, tell us how your how your elders and you have thought through that together, and uh, maybe how some other like-minded churches are thinking through these things as well, because it's interesting, for all the talk that we've, we've heard about and read about over the last 10, 15, 20 years about the urbanization of America, we've seen, not in huge swaths, but in some areas a a trending back towards a more agricultural setting as people have left more urban centers because they've been fed up with different restrictions. They've been fed up with some of the frustrations of city life and COVID lockdowns and and things of that nature. And we're not here to play a blame game. We're just acknowledging the reality of there is a, a, a trend towards suburban and more rural settings. And so maybe that's a ministry opportunity. Maybe that's a ministry challenge. What are some of your thoughts on that? And maybe you've seen some of those realities in your own county.
2: So an interesting thing about the county that that we live in is that it's a growing county in the rural south. Um, It is mostly built upon uh, tourism, our industry. uh, One of the Old farmers that I've heard say this one time that we used to grow tobacco now we farm for tourists and uh, and so tourism is our big drive but that doesn't mean that that does that it's just a temporary or seasonal uh, influx of people because you have to have a superstructure of people who are serving those tourists and so we're getting people from from a long way away um, from from New York New Jersey um, transferring in, living, retiring in this area. And so uh, one of the struggles is, okay, these are people who, generally speaking, may have come from mainline backgrounds or who have come from um, Roman Catholic backgrounds or who are simply unchurched. And so how do you reach out to them? Uh, well, one is being a good neighbor. They may not be from around here. But that doesn't mean you don't show uh, hospitality to them. And that doesn't mean that you don't get to know them, and that's one way in which I've seen uh, a great, a great fruit simply being known by these people. Go going to the gym, and and talking to the people there that maybe knew, um, who who aren't from around here, and, and getting to know them, um, uh, simply um, do, doing uh, this kind of. Uh, a ministry in which you are actually living in your community to know these people. Otherwise, they're not going to darken the door for the church uh, because they're, they're not looking for a church. And so that's been the, uh, a unique challenge is, is trying to actually live in the community to, to meet these people uh, in order to invite them to church when otherwise they aren't looking for a church And so that's one of the main difficulties that we've had is, okay, we've had this massive influx of people into our county. Uh, Our our county uh, grew uh, to about 300,000 people uh, just in in the past uh, decade. And so it's a large county, a lot of people with only three, uh, well, four Presbyterian or Reformed churches. And so uh, these people who may not be looking for churches, or maybe just looking for the biggest church across the street, if you simply display a pastoral lifestyle, getting to know people, um, praying with them and for them, if if, if they if asked or called upon, uh, that this is a this is a great encouragement. So don't if my 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 fix to this is just don't live inside your office, <laughs> live in your community. Uh, yes, uh, study for your sermons. You have to do that, but maybe do it in a coffee shop uh, where you're interacting with these people, uh, and that way uh, you're getting to know the community that you're reaching out to. Uh, our community is growing, uh, and a lot of people are coming in, and by God's grace, uh, I hope they come into our church as we seek to, to serve them uh, and have our doors open to them.
0: Kyle, that's great, and you, you already essentially answered the closing question I wanted to ask you is, what encouragement or exhortation would you give to men who are thinking about rural ministry or who are already in rural ministry? And I think you answered that question and gave them a great encouragement. So, Matt, how about you? Any closing thoughts? What what encouragement or uh, exhortation might you give to men who are either already laboring in a rural context or thinking about the opportunity or the possibility? How would you encourage them?
1: You know, just to piggyback off of Kyle a little bit I would say you know you definitely need to be involved in your community um, a stalwart within your community find ways to to be active within uh, community events city events Um, even uh, you know if you have the gifting of something like coaching uh, you know my context has a Christian school up underneath the umbrella of her ministries Uh, I coach football and golf with my school it gets me with parents, it gets me with students, it gets me in front of the community. Um, but my really my encouragement would be: don't forget about uh, the dechurched within your community. Um, one of the things that that drew me to Presbyterianism, I, I grew up in a in a Pentecostal context um, and began having questions during my teenage years about the Pentecostal faith, um, and and all of my questions were always met with. Uh, don't question the man of God um that was that was the steady answer that my pastor growing up gave me um and in in my context of Dylan um, with with you know seasoned Baptist ministers that that have been in their churches for decades or even uh, Pentecostal pastors who uh, believe in continuing revelation and uh, that they are you know, the equivalent of a a Old Testament prophet when they stand in the pulpit. Um, we have a lot of, a lot of individuals or a lot of families who have quit going to church. They would still say that they're Christians. Like I said before, they would even probably say that they're members of that specific church. Um, but they have quit going to church because they have been hurt by the church. and that is, at least in my context, but but any other rural pastor that I've talked to, that is the the people who are are there to be uh, discipled, um, to be brought in because they love the word, um, they they love Christ, um, and and maybe they even love this idea of organized religion being a part of a church, but they are so hurt by the church that they can't even fathom how to step back into a church that's dominated by a personality or one particular person. That's where I think um, the draw of Presbyterianism really comes in, uh, because we have checks and balances, right? Um, we we have elders who come alongside of uh, our pastors. That sounds like three- three-office view, I know, but, but you know, the pastor along with lay leaders make up a session, and um, we have deacons, and we have presbyteries, and we have assembly. Um, there, There is checks and balances to, to ensure that our churches aren't personality-driven. Our churches are preaching the gospel, um, handling the word rightly. Our churches are worshiping well. Uh, and and their worship is regulated by the scriptures. And, and like Kyle said already, um, one of the things that if if we can get the the churched into our churches, not only are they going to hear the word read and preach, but they are going to experience a a worship style, um, and they are going to they're going to hear the doctrines that have stood the test of time. They haven't been. Uh, they haven't been dominated or, or driven by one individual person or one individual family like many rural uh, contexts are. And so my, my encouragement would be, and my exhortation would be, don't forget the dechurched. Um, remember them, love on them, uh, and show them uh, a God who is gracious, who calls the leaders of uh, his church to be be gracious shepherds of the sheep. And I think that they will fall in love with with what you have to offer because you're offering them Jesus.
0: What a great note to end on. Y'all have given us some great things to think about, some great content. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of listeners to this podcast, both Presbyterian and non-Presbyterian, and I think all of you have given them, uh, all of our listeners, some great things to think about and chew over. And so we hope that it's been an encouragement to all of you who are listening, and I appreciate you brothers very much, and I appreciate your time. Thanks so much been listening to a production of the Blue Ridge Institute for Theological Education. For more information about the Institute, please visit our website at www.bright-va.org.